a listener production. This episode is brought to you by Bendix Brakes, Denso and Exidy. The Grill, a collaboration with VACC, the Victorian Automotive Chamber of Commerce and powered by Listener. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of The Grill. Greg Russ, Jeff Gwillem and Shane Jacobson in the driver's seat with you for this episode. Shane coming to us from Sydney where he's uh, working on a stage show and will be there for a number of months. But it uh, got me a little bit concerned about some valet parking for you, sir. Hello. So, so we are going to talk about this. I thought we were going to keep this a secret. I just don't want to get anyone in trouble. So I'm staying at Star. It's the casino. Uh, in Sydney because I'm doing Hairspray the Musical at the Lyric Theatre, which is located within the venue. So I'm staying on premise, if you will. So I had this moment, I've got the car valeted and I I valeted it three days ago. So in theory, in my mind, it's sitting hidden underneath the casino in a car park where I've got to go forward, hand over a docket, someone goes and checks the docket off, whatever the procedure is. Anyway, I go out to get breakfast the other day before a two-show day and as I walk out, there's, it's been three days since I valeted it. There's my car, the Range Rover, sitting at the front, like front and centre, at the front of the doors of the casino. And it looked exactly like my car, but hey, there's a lot of Range Rovers out there. But as I went around the front of it, I went, not only does it look like my car, it seems to have exactly the same registration plates as my car. I think that's my car. <laughs> so I went back to the guy at the valet and said, look, hey, mate, um, how you going? Yeah, good. He said, good, good. I said, look, just a quick question. Um, that car there, uh, that, that's my car there. Uh, which I haven't asked to be brought up. I actually put it in ballet three days ago, just wondering why it might be here. And he very honestly and openly said, oh, I believe it was brought up um, by mistake. Um, Someone actually ordered their car and they brought it up by mistake. Now, at that point I realised, and in fact he even said, yeah, look, um, it was brought up by mistake, but that guy said that's not my car. But part of me went, if that person had have liked my car more than their car, could they have just got yeah. in and driven off in my car? Yeah. <laughs> this is like this is like Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I mean, I don't want to suggest that the star are doing this, but it's it's a little bit like that, isn't it? Hand over the keys and off goes the Ferrari. So my yeah. point is this. If you're staying anywhere and a car turns up in front of you and it's not yours but it's better than what you're driving, get in it. <laughs> I'm almost annoyed. Yeah, give it a go. <laughs> Well, it's a shit ending to a great story. Like the story could have been it was last seen leaving the star sideways ahead of the driveway. Like, you know, like, you know uh, it's a good, better uh, story. As we welcome Jeff Willem to the podcast, Jeff and I are a bit inch perfect in how we go about things in daily life. Jeff, <laughs> have you ever taken a photo of the odometer when you have dropped your car off anywhere and kept an eye on the numbers? Yep. You have? Uh, yep. Uh- <laughs> Do you really? I I don't know why I do it, but you know, sometimes you go, you sit back in your car and you go, something's different. Something's changed in this car and you're not quite sure what it is, but (laughs) it's a bit like, you know, you, you, you come home and things have been moved around a bit and you're never quite sure. So there's a body in the boot. Well, well, when I get out at the airport, I always photograph my car at the airport. I photograph where it's car parked. Okay. I photograph the letter next to it and where I can find it very easily. Yep. And I'm sort of one of those guys, I'm, I'm constantly doing that sort of stuff. But, uh, yeah, I, I just, I don't know, maybe 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 it's a trust issue, guys. <laughs> have you ever had one come back where the Ks have gone up crazily or not? I haven't had one come back. Now, look, now nowadays, if you leave a car with a mechanic, the chances are they might drive it just to find out mm. whether or not, the, you know, whether it's pinging or whatever the problem is. So that's that's all normal. 
But, um, you know, you know, maybe it's the Ferris Bueller moment yeah. when you're just thinking at the back of your mind, you know, I just need to make sure there's not more than 100 kilometres on the clock. But I just, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's just uh, one of those old-fashioned things you do, but uh, I tend to do it a do bit. You know, Jeff, you've just tipped Shane and I off. The next time we come to that beautiful VACC headquarters, we're going to move <laughs> your car. We're going to do, we're going to play big games with you. You'll come downstairs and it's not where you left it, hey? I'm going to lap Australia. I don't do it every day. <laughs> You'll notice a huge difference when you get back in it once I've driven it for a week. Can I, okay, full, full disclosure. You ready, Jeff? Yes. Yeah, go on. You're going to make me fess up to something here. When go I was it. 22 years of age, I lived in Sweden for a year. And the only way I could make money was doing fireworks because I was a pirate technician. We've discussed that in the past, I think. The other thing I did, as they say in Swedish, is... And that means wash cars and trucks, right? So that's how I made my cash. And I used to wash them in these underground car parks. And one day, someone turned up in a fairly decent-looking Audi that looked like it might go well, and I used to have to wash it and then drive it back to their bay. I will be honest. I got in this thing and went, oh, man. This is a pretty sweet ride. And I this is my one at- chance. This is my one chance. It's exactly what I said. And that voice was louder in my head than the voice of common sense. And I left that car park and I took that thing for a hoot around the streets mm. of Stockholm. And they were it, ha- it had spike tyres on. It was the middle of winter. And I came around a corner fairly sideways and this thing going, man, this thing is a lot of fun. And there was a bus coming the other way and I just got it straight and I reckon the back quarter of that car missed the bus by about four inches and my heart turned up in the throat. I drove it back. I had to wash it again because, of course, now it's got dirty <laughs> snow all over it and parked it. But, yeah, imagine if I just hadn't got that straight at that time. Oh, I yeah. would have yeah. smashed that guy's car up and it would have mm. been four blocks from where I washed it. I was just supposed <laughs> yeah. to move it one level down in the car park. So <laughs> you're a wise man, Jeff. Um, don't let me hear you your go. card. If you do, photograph your own <laughs> VACC valet, Shane speaking. How may I move your car? Right, coming up in the show today, we have got some stories about celebrities and their first cars. Something cool that Aston Martin are bringing out and something about a tie-up between Porsche and Google. A deeper dive into VFAX as well. And we've got part two of our chat with Cameron Waters, supercar star, runner-up in the series last year, drives that amazing black Mustang and the sport's about to head into a brand new Gen 3 era. We've got lots to get our teeth into into that uh, that second part of the discussion with him, particularly his love of uh, restoration of cars and sprint car racing. But first... A quick break to talk about Bendix brakes, specifically their General CT brake pads, the perfect braking solution for everyday driving. Bendix General CT brakes utilise stealth advanced technology, offering smoother and quieter braking for more comfortable day-to-day driving. Ceramic technology means that they also deliver improved stopping performance, low dust, low rotor wear and enhanced durability. Bendix blue titanium stripe technology removes the need for bedding in and noise absorbing shims reduce vibration and noise during extreme braking. For the perfect everyday braking solution, ask your mechanic to fit Bendix General CT brake pads, available from all good Bendix stockers. Bendix, put your foot down with confidence. Hey, speaking of breaks, Rusty, time for breaking news. 
always cool to have a look at what some people that are well-known in the automotive and celebrity landscape have had as their first cars. Now, you guys will know the amazing career that uh, David Richards has had from Pro Drive, where he was co-driver with um, Ari Vartanen, ran the Subaru WRC team with Colin McRae, connections, of course, with Aston Martin and even um, with Formula One, Austin Healy Sprite, the Frog Eye Sprite. Yeah, Bug Eye. Yeah, Bug Eye. Yeah, lovely little car. Is he using it as an ashtray or is he – I mean, is it actually <laughs> – Yeah, but I reckon he's got nine other cars. <laughs> he is the kind of guy who would have a lot more than that. And I've got very fond memories of him alongside Ari Vartanen in, uh, in the World Rally Championship. Very cool chapter. That's just a nice-looking little car. It's just a – it's a great thing to have in the garage. So how about this one? We're talking first cars for people. So Patrick Dempsey, actor, um, but a lot of motoring people know he doesn't mind getting behind the wheel of anything, to be honest. He's always been a Porsche guy. His first car was a Porsche 356. So not an old banger. His first car was a Porsche 356. I reckon he made more paper round money than I did. <laughs> I've seen him race at Le Mans, mate, and uh, McDreamy is properly into his Porsches. So whilst most of us would probably have been, you know, expecting a uh, an actor on Struggle Street and some crappy car, that's amazing. He's had a proper Porsche connection by the sounds of it from the get-go. And can, as you said, can steer, can't he? Yeah. I've got Bernie Eggleston here, you know, the old Morgan. Can you guys remember... Morgan had a three wheeler in the oh, Morgan yeah, yeah, car company. Yeah. They had a th- had a three wheeler, and and Bernie owned one of these. Now, uh, I'm, I'm, really, he owned one. It's a, a British racing green. Uh, I, I I'd be surprised if it, was, if it was his first car, but it's uh, it's the sort of thing that it would certainly turn some heads. And uh, you know, a mate of mine had a. You remember those uh, three wheeled. James Bond had one in one of the films, and it was we called them plastic pigs back then. But they were like a yellow cheese, uh, a slice of cheese. Um, but this thing that uh, Bernie's got here, this is a collectible, you know, three wheeler. When you look at them, you think they just look precarious. They are precarious. They are precarious. That's what they look at. But you, you can't you can't ever go at someone for their first car, and you don't know where they're going to end up. I mean, didn't Mark Webber have a 1969 Toyota Corona? You know what I mean? Correct. Yep. Correct. He did. He sure did. We can't be giggling at people for their first car because it doesn't determine where they end up. No, exactly, exactly. Now, a couple of other bits of news to rattle through before we get to uh, part two of the VFAX figures. Aston Martin, pretty tight-lipped on uh, this new car that they've been talking about for the 110-year uh, anniversary. Some talk that we'll get to see it at maybe like British Grand Prix, Pebble Beach Concourse and uh, maybe Goodwood. Um, some wondering whether this will be a product of its specialist Q division, so the uh, things like the Aston Martin Victor, which was, I think, derived from the 177 and, and Vulcan hypercar, uh, hypercars, rather. That's a bit, of a bit of an example of what could be possible. Imagine one of those things, V12 or something along those lines with limited edition, probably come with a decent old price tag too, over a million dollars, no doubt. So we'll keep an eye on that one. They're, they're a bit tight-lipped, as I say, on, uh, on what's happening there. And what about this chat about Google and Porsche? in discussions about a, about a deal to allow Google Apps to be used in, in Porsche cockpits? It doesn't shock me that. Does it shock anyone else hearing that? I, I Probably more of a shock that it hasn't happened sooner, mate, isn't it? Yeah, well, then you're with me, mate, because, you know, let's be honest, these mobile phones aren't going anywhere. Yeah, I'm not shocked by it at all, to be honest. As you say, why did it take so long? 
I think Porsche had been, uh, by the sounds of the article, which uh, I think MSN did, that they were uh, had been reluctant to use Google software because you know Google asked for you know far too much data to be shared and uh, and so on. But they've obviously um, you know thought of a way forward here, so we'll keep an eye on that story too. Let's launch into part two of our dive into the January VFAX numbers. Now, Jeff, can we pick this up around um, battery electric vehicles? In I think in total. Last year we sold thirty three thousand uh, odd. Maybe it was uh, maybe just over nearly nearly thirty three and a half thousand. How did January go? Uh, January went really well, and I think just to go back to last year's figures, I didn't think we would reach that by the end of the year. I thought it would be lower than that. But the second half of last year, they really came on strong. In January, we sold four thousand eight hundred and fifty two battery electric vehicles. So not plug ins, not hybrids, pure battery electric vehicles. And that represents 5.7% of the new vehicle market for January. Now, for me, that's a very optimistic start to the year. Shane and I, when you say BEV, because the automotive industry has lots of acronyms, <laughs> uh, we think of BEV Brock. <laughs> uh, yes. But this is this is battery electric vehicle for, for the listeners. So just, just hang on a minute here. Um, it, it basically means that... Uh, the figure for the year that we could have for BEVs, love you, Bev. Um, I mean, we're talking, what do we, add that up there, that's roughly, what, 60,000 sold by December? It could be higher. Let's have a look what's changing. Mm. So Tesla recorded in January, out of that that number, Tesla recorded 3,313 were Tesla vehicles. Far out. You know, that's 68.3% of all battery electric vehicle sales uh, for the month. Mm. In terms of the brand, the highest selling battery electric vehicle was the Tesla Model 3. No surprises there. We, you, you see more and more of them around. So that's 2,927 of those vehicles were the Model 3, followed by the Tesla Model Y, and then the BYD uh, Atto 3. BYDs build your dreams, of course. But overall, for the for the month, uh, that's a very, very positive and a strong start in the battery electric vehicle area. Yeah. When they say build your dreams, though, they've got to be careful with that as a name because for me, it's going to be, you know, an XB Coupe or a HQ. <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> Does that mean kind of Tesla Model Y is actually considered for this reporting an SUV? Yeah, it is, yeah. It's a, it's a medium-sized SUV. Now, it's funny because the SUVs in the olden days, we, which was about 15 years ago, there was only one SUV just meant big. But now we've got uh, medium SUVs, small SUVs, large SUVs. So that, and that's one of the reasons why that category, you know, controls so much of the market. But yeah, it's uh, the Model Y is an SUV. Is that going to just keep broadening? Is SUV going to get to the point that in the future, there's a two-door roofless SUV. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting because the definition of an SUV, which, you know, is a sports utility vehicle. This is the skis on top, the boat on the boat on the back. You know, that's what these were designed for. Because the definitions are so loose, I, I think you're right, Shane. The, what isn't an SUV? Yeah. <laughs> Let's bounce through plug-in hybrids and petrol and diesel for the month of January. Yeah, look, plug-ins went well, sold 438 uh, plug-in hybrids. Uh, that's up 39% uh, on January last year, which is very, very positive. I think plug-ins will have a big year as well, by the way. A lot of people, they, you know, they're looking at the fully electric vehicle. Um, I think if, they, if they're if they not 100% sure, uh, the plug-ins are where they're going to go. So I'd expect those numbers to, to rally uh, this year. Uh, hybrids, uh, petrol and diesel. 
5,136 conventional hybrids. So they're not plug-in, obviously. They're just conventionals. Um, sold in January, still up 3.5% or 172 vehicles on January last year, which is, you know, there's growth, but it's slower. 44,831 uh, petrol vehicles. That's across the whole vehicle range sold in January. And that's also an increase of 7.8% or 3,225 vehicles over January 2022. However, petrol passenger vehicles fell by 12.8% in terms of the total volume of car sales. And I think that that is around the Tesla 3 uh, and the Atto. They are basically passenger vehicles. So what uh, you're seeing here okay. is an exchange of petrol passenger vehicles versus uh, electric vehicles that are passenger vehicles. So the Y is not in there, but the other brands are in there, the 3 and the Atto, and you know, obviously the Polsters, they're in there as well. So I think that's where you're seeing that pull back. And 26,589 diesel vehicles sold in 2023, uh, January that is, and that's an increase of 1.9 up on la- in January last year. So still a bit of growth in diesel, which is interesting. Sales by vehicle brand. And some of the, the kind of best performing um, vehicle models, I mean, you look at uh, Audi Q3, I think they had – 403 sales, which is like a 230-odd percent increase. I mean, some of this is obviously around stock, these numbers we're talking about, and and uh, arrivals and availability, isn't it? So I, I say this. You guys always have a crack me when I say this. The Tucson. <laughs> <laughs> the Hyundai Tucson. Oh, Tucson. They're up 108% on 1,615 uh, car sales for January. The Mazda CX-3 up. Uh, 167%, Mercedes-Benz C-Class up 242%, and the CL Subaru Outback still going strong. Uh, they sold 792 in January. That's up 225.9% on January last year. Great figures for those that are doing well. The best sales performance in the luxury sports vehicle segment. Here we go. <laughs> Lamborghini uh, made 10 sales. That's up nine sales over January last year. McLaren, 10 sales, up six on last year, January that is. And Rolls-Royce, two sales up from zero in January last year. So, you know, Bentley, Ferrari, Lotus and Maserati, however, recorded declines for the month of January. Now, we've got a special event happening around the Grand Prix on the the Friday night, which we're excited about. And we'll tell you uh, more on that in coming episodes. I can remember last year's uh, GP-related podcast that we did, and you talked about you know, kind of fast cars there and the impact of the Grand Prix and how it potentially helps, you know, put a kicker in fast car sales. What do you think about this year? Uh, I think it will. I think that the the, the smell of a bit of racing fuel, um, just the whole vibe around the Grand Prix. It's a big motor show um, basically, isn't it, you know? It's a massive motor show and if you're excited about cars and you come away from the Grand Prix and you happen to be cashed up, uh, there's no reason that, that you're not going to either put an order in or go and buy a second-hand maybe a Maserati if you've got that much money. We are Steve Bletsos, our uh, internal uh, senior research analyst, to have a look at this. And, you know, in true form, Steve said, I can't categorically say that these car sales with luxury sports cars are related to the Grand Prix, but they always go up when the Grand Prix's on. Now, I don't know. You know, he's a very conservative guy. I would just say it's the smell of fuel that's doing it. Do you know what I think when you talk, <laughs> the great man, Steve Bletsos? I, I think mm. like the chaser. We're trying to yes, beat the chaser. Yes, he, there's we no are. way we're going to beat him, mate. He's too good. He is too he's good. He's too good. The three of us together against him, we're no chance, are we? 
We need to make sure we never show his face so he becomes Steve becomes our Stig. He should just have a race suit made out of data. No comment. He's got no comment. He can't. He's got nothing for us. When we go to government, when we go to Canberra, and we want to, we want to really challenge them around data or their numbers or policy, and we bring Steve along, we unleash him halfway through the conversation, and he hits them with a, you know. Did you apply the Henderson curve statistics to that number? And, of course, they're looking around the room. They don't know what he's on about. I don't know what he's on about. He knows what he's on about. And uh, it's 20 years in the ABS, all of that data, rich data stuff. He just, uh, he's like the lone ranger. He walks out with the gun smoking as if he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's an exocet missile. He just doesn't look that way. I reckon that's Admiral Willem walking in going, release the Bletsos. <laughs> release the <laughs> I reckon they get a note from the airport going, my God, they bought Bletsos. Oh, no, he's here. He's here. I'd love to think you wheel him in like a howitzer. We've just got an, an axle and two tyres and he's sort of laying across it like a cannon. Oh, I like and I, I, and I, I'd, I'd like to also see someone mock up some footage, replace uh, our SB cannon, uh, where Keanu Reeves is in the Matrix, where it's him <laughs> just dodging all the numbers as they're coming at him. <laughs> Easily. Let's <laughs> could do it. Right. Let's straighten up here. Uh, Toyota led the market in January, 13,363 vehicles sold. Mazda was second with 9,407, followed by uh, Ford, uh, 6,624, and Kia, 6,006, Hyundai, 5,809. The Ford Ranger was the highest selling model with 4,749 sales reported. The Toyota Hilux followed with 4,131. And listen to this. The Tesla Model 3 was the third highest selling model vehicle sold in Australia in January. 2,927 vehicles. Never happened before. Never been in the top 10. Comes in straight to number three. That tells you. Wow. That tells you something's happening out there. Definitely, definitely. I mean, the Ranger—they'd be cheering at Ford in that battle with Toyota. Yeah, but the yeah. the subplot there, the the actual third place is the uh, is the big story. So, so even though we know some of the targets for electric cars in Australia are aspirational, if you look at the market and you look at the numbers, it's undeniable. We're on our way. VFAX. We will get stuck into the figures for February next month, right here on the Grill. Looking for reliability? Switch to Denso and you'll understand why their products outperform anything else in the industry from ignition coils to engine management sensors, AC components and alternators, filters to fuel pumps and much, much more. Plus, cutting edge spark plug technology that makes Denso plugs sought after worldwide, built to last the distance and keep you on our roads longer thanks to the industry-leading facilities that they have right here in Australia. At your next service, be sure to ask for Denso, or you can find your part at denso.com.au. Time for our feature guest on this edition of The Grill. Now, if you were with us for the last episode, you would have caught part one of our chat with supercars driver Cam Waters. Jump back to the listener library, to The Grill, and give it a listen if you've somehow arrived here and perhaps missed that chat. Cam is right into his cars with not one, but two resto projects, cool old Fords. They're 
both on the go. He enjoys racing sprint cars, regularly takes the fight to Shane Van Gisbergen for the supercars title, winning races, and you'll be left in no doubt about his deep desire to stand on the top of the podium at Bathurst. Lots of our members, lots of our listeners will be um, super excited to learn about the new generation of supercars, what they're calling Gen 3. We're about to embark on a brand new chapter for the sport, Camaro V Mustang. Lots of energy around this. Um, What can you tell us about the cars so far? How much are you looking forward to the year ahead? And do you reckon, um, based on what we know so far, that it will create, you know, kind of more intense, you know, more closer competition? Yeah, Gen 3's got a lot of energy around it. Um, you know, everyone's very excited. There's, you know, always a little bit of noise, like bad noise around, you know, projects as well. But um, I think the positive outweighs the negative at the moment. So um, that's great. And I'm just keen as to get into it. I've, I've seen my car. It's it's nearly done. I think it's getting stickered at the moment and, and I drive it this week. So super excited to get in it. Just a new chapter for supercars, really. And hopefully it spices up the field a little bit. And, uh, you know, hopefully the racing's better and, you know, it's just whoever gets on top of it first will, you know, get an advantage and might be able to get some race wins and and things like that. How different are they to drive? Take us there. Uh, I haven't driven it a lot. I drove it in Adelaide and um, it was great because I literally got out of my Gen 2 car, which I qualified in, and then got straight into that car. On pole, and, um, by the way, you didn't, you didn't, you left that little part out of the conversation. You <laughs> yeah, put it on pole. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I did okay in the old car, so <laughs> that was going good. And then I got this, the Gen Three, and you know, there's some things which it did a lot better than you know our old supercar. And there were some things which you're like, oh my god, this thing's going to kill me. So um, it's it's good though, like not a bad way. It's good to have things that you know challenge you, and it's different. And and I think. I think that'll be good for the sport. You know, it needs a little bit of a shake-up. You came into supercars. People may not remember this as a young bloke. I think you'd done a bit of Formula Four, uh, Formula V rather out of off the back of karting and, and so on. And then was it at age 17, did you you won a competition on a TV show and that pitted you with our old mate Grant Denyer, who people can find in our in our grill library, and you got to tackle Bathurst, is that? And you were 17. Yeah, it was it was pretty crazy how it all happened. So I was in um, I was in Formula Ford and heard there was a reality TV show and uh, got the call up to be part of it. And you know the winner got to drive at Bathurst. So somehow I got through all the challenges and, and come out on top and um, got to go to you know Mount Panorama with with Grant Denya. The whole the whole thing was was pretty crazy. But um, you know I learned so much from that week. And you know, help get my name out there to help me for the you know future years to get sponsorship and all those things. So it was um, pretty unique to be able to go there and, and do it like that. And you know, at the time, I didn't even have my P plates. I was still on the learners. Crazy. So drove up there with with dad with my L's on and um, <laughs> got on got in a supercar and fanged it around Mount Panorama for the weekend and drove home on my L's as well. Was that your lucky break? Do you think? Do you think we'd be having this chat now if it wasn't for that show? Um, it's a good question. I think it, it definitely influenced, you know, my next few years and, and how we got sponsorship and stuff. I I think um, it would have been a, a lot different path if that didn't happen, to be honest. I would like to think I probably would have still made it, but it just would have been a lot harder. So, um, yeah, definitely, definitely helped. Was the car set up for your height? And if so, how many how many cushions did they have to put in for Grant <laughs> to get to the pedals? <laughs> yeah, he had, a, he had a booster seat. Uh, so, um, <laughs> yeah, and he, and he still only just reached the, 
So I think you could only get to about three quarter throttle and he was tapped out <laughs> with the booster seat. Love it. He's going to smack me in the mouth when he sees me next, yeah. you know, that, for that gag. Keep the stirring coming. The perseverance that you were kind of alluded to, mate, that, that ultimately is key to, you know, your success would see you go on and, you know, win a Super 2 crown, the second tier. You, you know, in the last year there have been race wins at places like Darwin, Winton. You talked about the pole position a moment ago, second in the in the title race. The hunger, the the burning ambition to win this crown and to be successful in Bathurst. I know you can be a, a little bit of a, a quieter by nature bloke, but you like to do that talking on track, mate, don't you? Yeah, 100%. You know, we've had a, a pretty good few years um, you know, come second in the championship twice and Bathurst, same thing, come twice a few times, but we don't do it to come second. So, um, you know, there's there's definitely hunger there to to keep stepping it up and, you know, stepping up with my driving um, with the team, you know, all areas we're, we're looking at it. And for us, we're excited with Gen 3 to, you know, use that as a, a new opportunity to, to keep, um, you know, stepping it up and, and getting all those things that we want to achieve. You have been learning with, at times, correct me if I'm wrong here, with a driver coach in England that's very well respected, mate, haven't you? Yeah, been um, going to see Rob Wilson since 2017. COVID obviously affected that, but went late last year and, and saw him again. And he definitely hasn't changed, so <laughs> taught me all the, you know, all the similar things. But you know, you forget bits and pieces and how important little bits are. So always go go back and see him. Hopefully, once a year. Uh, we'll try and go back again this year and that yeah, he's awesome with what he does and what he teaches and I think he'd worked it out. He'd seen seventy five Grand Prix drivers or something over his time, which is um That's which massive, is an insane it? start to be honest. Yep, and some some big name drivers that he's quietly uh, worked away with, with kind of an old school philosophy in some ways. He really breaks stuff down to to working on the the basics. And I know a lot of people rate that time that they spend with him. Well done that you're doing that. Can we finish on kind of a, a fun collision of all this stuff we've been talking about today. Jeff went there in the conversation about, you know, understanding the engineering side, the, the mechanics of the car, and clearly you enjoy that. For people that are working in in workshops around the place that might do some weekend racing and, and so on, that that knowledge um, that continues even to this day serves you very well, mate, whether you're in the the Tickford racing car or whether you're in your, your sprint car over summer, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, 100%. I think having the mechanical side of it or understanding of it is um is very important for for any driver and for me you know there'll be times where I come in and the car's doing something weird mechanically and it helps me being able to you know find that problem a lot quicker so um yeah I love the hands-on side of it and understanding what I'm actually driving not just turning the steering wheel and pressing the pedals so you know that's something that I've grown up with enjoying that side of it where others probably don't but um I'll keep doing it been a massive summer for the men and women working in race teams in both Victoria and, and other teams that, of course, for supercars that are based in, in Queensland, building these brand new cars. So we, we thank them for doing that. You're not all that far away from um, the start of the championship. Go get them, mate. Thank you very much for coming on the grill and, and sharing a, a bit of that today. And I know from Shane, Jeff and I, we can't wait to see more of those beautiful restorations, mate. Go well with it. Thank you. Thanks for having me and hopefully I'll have a project car finish soon. Having supplied more than 300 million clutch kits to OE clients, Exidy has earned a reputation for trust, 
respect and quality. All Exidy OEM replacement kits include high-quality cover assemblies, clutch discs and release bearings and are manufactured to strict specifications for fitment, longevity and noise suppression. When you choose to fit an OEM replacement kit from Exidy's extensive range, you'll enjoy the same loyalty that they demonstrate to OE clients around the globe. Find out more at exidy.com.au. Listen to mail time now, a bit in the glove box this month. Here's one, uh, it's actually for me, from Will in Newcastle. What's the difference between Formula One, Formula Two and Formula Three? Will, your question is timely because all three categories are going to be at the Grand Prix uh, next month and early April uh, at um, at Albert Park there in Melbourne. And that's a really cool thing for Aussie audiences because typically – Formula One's been the only thing to to come down under. We've had supercars and uh, Porsche Carrera Cup and so on bolstering the support offering, and those two things will still be there. But the second and third tier of the sport are going to be showcased to Aussie audiences in what's set to be a sellout uh, somewhere around 450-odd thousand people over four days. It is going to be immense. So Formula One is the pinnacle. You know that. Formula Two, very closely aligned in in many ways and a great breeding ground for stars trying to, to graduate to, to Formula One. And F3 is uh, less horsepower, um, smaller sort of looking chassis and so on. And the idea is that we get youngsters that have stepped out of carts, maybe into Formula 4, but then have clearly shown the kind of talent that might take them onto the world stage into F3 um, for the first time. It's the first phase of the pathway and people in recent time like uh, like Jack Dewan and many others have, uh, have come through that path. One for Shane from Fiona in Bendigo in Victoria. If you had all the money in the world, what car would you buy? I'd buy Chitty Chitty Bang Bang back off. Peter over in New Zealand that we spoke about in our last last episode. No, um, I you know what I, I hate answering this because there's there's two parts to it. So it, it'd probably be a DB9 or Vantage, right? Aston Martin, yep. because they just look so beautiful. The problem is, once I've got into it, I need three of you to come around to my place to help me get out of it. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it probably if uh, the DB9, nice. Jeff, one here for you from Eric, who's uh, based in Victoria, based on the email. Uh, why doesn't the VACC, uh, he's asking, like bike lanes and public transport? Is that fair? No, it's not very fair. It's not that we don't like Yeah, them. Jeff, why? <laughs> yeah, why? <laughs> They're outraged. Uh, it's not my fault. Uh, it's not that we don't like them, but what we've, what we've done in a lot of Australian cities, we've decided we're going to retrofit them without doing anything except reducing the road size. So... What we end up is a whole lot of uh, bottlenecking in metropolitan areas where you can't get. Now, you know, I ride a bike now and again, and lots of people ride bicycles, and that's fantastic. But I think what's happened is is that the motor car in metropolitan areas is just a nasty thing that's got to be controlled and it's got to be limited. And I think it's a bit unfair. Um, it's not, again, it's not that we don't think that course bike lanes are a great idea, but the car driver's paying the price for that. And it's not that I don't like them. It's just that it's a compromise and, uh, you know, it's it doesn't help when you want to get through a city because it takes a long time. There you go. Can there I you say go. in our defence, because I'm in, I'm in agreement with you, that moving forward, our wish would be when they design suburbs moving forward to have ample room for the cars and an additional lane for bikes. Absolutely. In, in the design. Yeah. Yeah. Go Rusty, sing it. 
Riding along on your pushback, push Jeffrey. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it is time for Blow It Out Your Tailpipe. We're nearly at the end of, uh, of this episode and it kind of gets us back to our ep a fortnight ago because you did talk about this with our member guest on the whole notion, Shane, of tyres and what ultimately happens. Time to roll the intro and clarify a bit more of this in Blow It Out Your Tailpipe. Blow It Out Your Tailpipe. <laughs> Yeah, mate, we did. Um, we spoke to Pete, um, who's uh, down in Tassie, runs a, a Bridgestone um, dealership down there. He's part of the TACC. And, and it is around ties. You know, we, I, and yes, I'm, I'm playing with the words blow it out your tailpipe, which obviously is exhaust. And, and the rubber equivalent of exhaust is the tyres once they've gone past their use-by date, for the want of better terms. Um, but I realised I didn't put a number on it. And when we talk about it being the recycling of tyres on the planet, but let's just focus on Australia for now, um, there's some 56 million worn-out tyres are removed from Australian cars every year. I mean, 56 million, and that's every year. So start to stack them up. I think we've discussed once before, there's actually a tyre dump, I think, still in stall. And I shouldn't say this. It might terrify a lot people, of tires. our listeners, in stall. It's 56 million a year. I mean, and, and it's an ever-increasing problem. It's not a decreasing problem. I mean, we've got, we're going to get electric cars, but guess what? They, they've got tyres on them. They're, they're, and there's some really great... I think action's being taken um, to try and try and get on top of this. But as we know, it kind of starts with education. It, you can do whatever you want. You can implement whatever you want. But if the people don't know about it and they don't know why it's worth doing, they won't get engaged. So look, all we're trying to say is we're, we're kind of hoping that people will buy tyres or deal with people that are accredited. And, and what they are is people who uh, abide by some of the guides of the TSA. And what it is is responsible responsibility of those tyres once the dealership gets them that they become a part of a program where they do, they, they chop them up and or they get them into roads and all that kind of stuff. So we're just, just hoping that people will go to accredited retailers in support of better outcomes for used tyres. So I just wanted to kind of park back to that. I realised when we had that quick chat um, with Pete down in, in Tassie, we didn't tell people how many tyres it was. Anyway, to say it one more time, 56 million tyres. So if you are going to a tyre place, just sort of see if they have responsible handling of tyres. And and if they don't, I don't think we need to crucify them, but I think the more that um, buyers actually say to them, oh, do you guys deal with these tyres responsibly? If the conversation gets started, we might be able to turn some people around at the tyre end of things as well. Yep. We're out of time. Next month, we are going to talk to a media identity who uh, she loves doing stuff around cars and one of the AFL greats. They are making a new motoring show. We'll talk more about that on The Grill. We'll tackle the February VFAX numbers and a whole lot more as we count down to the Grand Prix and a very, very special episode of The Grill happening there in April as well. For Jeff, Shane and all the team, we'll catch you next time. Bye for now. Listener.